The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Is it time for you to have an injection of faith, a booster shot? We're surrounded by so much doubt and unbelief, even in the churches, that we can all use an extra jab of faith. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah's healing would be available to anybody and everybody, to all mankind, through Messiah's atonement on behalf of all the human race. You see, salvation is freely offered for all who will put their trust in Jesus. In fact, evangelicals have no trouble believing that it's God's will for all of mankind to be saved. But the whole truth is, the Bible teaches that both salvation and healing were procured by Jesus for everybody. Salvation and healing are the gospel's double cure for our sins as well as our sicknesses. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The ravages of sin have turned this world into a hospital and in some ways a mental asylum. More than ever, we need the power of God in our lives and families. Generally speaking, most churchgoers will concede that they believe God has promised us blessings. But the question is, are we fully persuaded that all of God's magnificent promises in this book are accessible for us today. 1 Timothy 2.4 declares that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And 2 Peter 3.9 underscores the same truth, that the Lord doesn't want anybody to perish, but He wants everyone to reach a state of repentance to change the way that we think and act. As glorious as it is to be saved forever from hell, the word salvation in the Bible means more than saved from eternal perdition. The concept of salvation in the New Testament also encompasses the areas of physical healing, deliverance from evil, being made whole emotionally and physically. In fact, it's all of the above. The word salvation in the Greek is sozo. Strong's Concordance of the Bible says that this word sozo means to save, to deliver or to protect, to heal, to preserve, to be well. In other words, to be whole. It's the very same word used for saved in the well-known gospel verse, Romans 10:9, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But you could just as well read Romans 10, 9 like this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be healed, delivered, made whole. Isn't that marvelous? Well, a package deal is our salvation. So if up to this point you haven't been fully believing all of God's promises, let's resolve to start to purpose to believe that healing is indeed part and parcel of our salvation. 
You see, no matter what time of year it is, whether it's a New Year's resolution or any time, let's make a resolution to believe what this Bible teaches, that salvation not only fully encompasses forgiveness of sins, but it also fully encompasses healing and deliverance. It's so important to believe what God's Word says and not lower our biblical standards and pander to man's unreliable opinions. Can you say amen in your heart to that? Or are you hesitant and are you bound by the edicts of high-minded, sometimes unbelieving theologians? We need to come to a moment of truth. As a Jerusalem friend constantly reminds me, without victory, there's no survival. Well, actually, those were the words of Winston Churchill after becoming prime minister in 1940 during World War II. He said, victory at all costs, victory in spite of terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. And I do have to say that without victory over the terrorism of sickness and disease, there's going to be no survival. Yes, barring the rapture, we all will eventually die because the wages of sin is death. But we don't have to die sick and infirm if we can believe and appropriate God's promise of healing in this book. Evangelical theologians have no trouble believing that it's God's will for all persons to be saved, as the scriptures state. But what about healing? Why is this so controversial? Is it God's will that healing should be extended to everybody who has faith to claim it? Surely we must know that the Bible teaches that salvation and healing are offered to everybody because salvation and healing are the double cure for our sins as well as our sicknesses. So recently, I decided to give myself a faith booster by studying again the verses in the New Testament where it says that Jesus healed all who came to him. You see, he never turned anybody away. If the Lord had refused to heal somebody, then you can be sure theologians would have made a big doctrine out of that, and none of us could have any assurance of healing. But the good news is that Jesus responded positively and healed all who asked him. If unbelievers didn't ask, well, they died in their sins and their sicknesses. But those who had the presence of mind and sometimes even the chutzpah to approach him, they all were healed. The woman, for example, with the issue of blood, she was too ashamed to ask Jesus openly for healing, so she came by stealth up from behind him just to quickly touch the fringe of his garment. She had faith to grab her healing and then just, she thought, slink away because she kept saying to herself that if she could only touch the fringe of his garment, that would be enough. She knew she would be healed. But to her embarrassment, Jesus turned around and asked, Who touched me? Because he immediately sensed healing virtue going out to somebody. And when she dared to own up, Jesus told the woman that her faith had healed her and the issue of blood instantly dried up. 
And I'm so happy to tell you as an evangelist that you can still touch Jesus by faith today because of the Bible promise. For example, in Hebrews 13:8, that's a verse that I rely on and declare often. Jesus, the Messiah, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That verse covers all of time. The same Jesus who healed the woman with the issue of blood, who healed cripples, who healed the blind and the lame, still is the same Jesus right now. And he still responds to our faith. Hallelujah. Some commentaries point out that on the day our Lord had healed a man's withered hand in the synagogue at Capernaum, afterwards Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law at Peter's house, which was their Galilee headquarters. By the way, that episode teaches us a lot because, for one thing, it teaches us that Jesus did not impose celibacy on his followers. This episode tells us that Peter had a wife, and Jesus stayed under Peter's roof and ministered to Peter's mother-in-law when she was sick in bed with a fever. Matthew 8.15 says that he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to serve them. You see, when most people recover from fevers, they can be weak for quite a while until they gradually regain their strength little by little. But not here. Jesus touched her and she was instantly able to get up and return to her duties around the house. And Matthew 8.16 follows on saying that when the evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. Or as St. Luke recorded it, this healing extravaganza happened while the sun was setting. There are a couple of practical reasons for the time being at evening. First of all, it made sense to bring the sick in the cool of the evening rather than out in the scorching heat of the day. And secondly, although Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, nevertheless, the people's fear of being rebuked by religious leaders for defiling the Sabbath and carrying the sick, that would have deterred them from bringing out the sick to him earlier, as long as the Sabbath lasted. But with sunset and the Sabbath coming to a close, the people felt free to act. In Judaism, the day of rest extends from sundown to sundown. And according to Talmudic teaching, the Sabbath can be declared to be over when three stars are visible in the sky after sunset. And so the people felt free then to carry out their sick to Jesus. Let's pay close attention to the phrase that Jesus cast out the spirits that day it says, with his word. You see, that was the Lord's short, authoritative, and powerful method. His rebuke was short because he was God in the flesh, contrasted to the long formulas of the rabbinic exorcists. And the text says that he healed all that were sick, and the stress is upon all. That means that there was no case too difficult, no disease too great or baffling for Jesus to cure. You see, with Jesus, there are no incurable diseases. Get that set in your spirit. 
We need to get that fact settled once and for all. Now, Matthew 4.24 is another verse that I looked up that mentions how Jesus healed everybody who came to him. No exceptions are mentioned. That verse says, News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease was, or if they were demon-possessed, it says, or if they were epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Hallelujah. And Matthew 12, 15 is yet another verse that records that Jesus healed all the sick among them. I can't mention all the verses today, but that one says succinctly that a large crowd followed him and he healed them all. Now, in the book of Acts, Acts 10, 38, it's a powerful verse that we can rely upon even now in our generation because this word is set for all time. The apostle Peter testified about Jesus like this in his sermon at the house of Cornelius, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This description of Jesus being anointed by God refers to an old custom of the Jews because they used to anoint their kings and priests with oil. A person is considered to be anointed by God if they're gifted with healing and miracles and the ability to prophesy and so forth. The statement that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil certainly covered a whole range of possibilities including the healing of demoniacs, since all disease was attributed directly or indirectly to Satan. For example, Luke 13, 11 records the healing of a bent over woman who, who couldn't straighten up. She had been bound for 18 years, it says, by an evil spirit of infirmity. You see, disease is Satan's calling card and that agrees with Job 2.7, a verse which pulls back spiritual curtains and shows that it was Satan behind the scenes who afflicted Job with painful sores from head to toe. And so Jesus went about doing good, not taking vengeance on his enemies. His first mission to planet Earth was a mission of compassion, but he will wreak vengeance upon Antichrist and sinners at his second coming. But his first coming was his mission of mercy and salvation to the world. Because we human beings have a sin nature, it's just within us to crave vengeance upon our enemies or God's enemies. But when we invite the risen Lord to live in us by the power of his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will curb and control our desire to get even with people. In Luke chapter 9, the disciples, James and John, who became great apostles, great saints, but as they were in their apprenticeship under Jesus, they were offended by the inhospitable Samaritans. So they suggested to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But Jesus rebuked them because his purpose was going about and doing good. So Peter's testimony in Acts 10, 38 was that Jesus went about helping people and 
healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And all of the Lord's miracles were works of compassion and mercy for the benefit and relief of harassed mankind. The Lord indeed was often provoked by the unbelief and blasphemy of his enemies. And like Elijah, it was surely within his power to call down dramatic miracles of destruction against them. But that simply wasn't his mission. At his second coming, Jesus will destroy the Antichrist, but for the time being, he's still healing all who are oppressed of the devil. It's still his agenda to destroy the works of the devil. As Nicodemus, Israel's teacher, confessed to Jesus in John chapter 3, no man can do the miracles you're doing except God is with him. You see, to watch Jesus at work healing the sick was to witness the Father's will in action, always demonstrating compassion and a desire to heal physical bodies. Jesus' tireless reaction was, I will come and heal. He put himself out to visit the sick, and we should take the time to follow his example. The other day I went to visit a brother who was in a lot of pain, and that morning, 3 John 2 was in my reading. Such a powerful verse. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. That's the will of God as expressed in the Word of God. So don't let anyone tell you that you can't claim that promise in this Bible. If we have a proper understanding of the Lord's atonement, then we can believe God for healing and soul prosperity. Jesus made atonement for both their sins and sicknesses. That's the teaching of Isaiah 53 in the Hebrew Bible. And the promise is repeated in the New Testament in Matthew 8:17. God cannot overlook and wink at sin. Sin simply has to be punished. But Jesus bore our punishment himself vicariously on the cross. The sinless blood of Jesus became God's ultimate sacrifice and antidote against sin. The enemy of our souls, Satan, doesn't want us to receive the benefits of the Lord's atonement. And so he tempts religious leaders to teach that healing is not for today. Yet the scriptures testify in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed. Verse 4 of that chapter says, Surely he has borne our griefs. And the Hebrew word translated griefs is chole, which actually means sickness. So surely he has borne our sicknesses. And the word surely here means without a doubt. It's a firmly established fact, accomplished for time and eternity. And the verse ends, surely he has carried our sorrows. Sorrows is the Hebrew word machab, which means pains. So a better translation is, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. That's why I encourage people to believe God to take away their back pains, their neck pains, shoulder pains, knee pains, leg pains, all kinds of pains. Pain simply has to go in Jesus' name according to your faith. Now moving on, we have another spectacular episode of widespread healing in Matthew chapter 15. 
It says Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up on a mountain and sat down. That's a rabbinic way of saying that he sat down to prepare to teach. Rabbis sat to teach, and they still do many times today. He ascended a well-known mountain where he taught the people during his earlier ministry, and there he seated himself in preparation for further teaching. And the commentaries say that this is a picture of Jesus seated upon the mountain, symbolizing his enthronement at the right hand of God above all power and authorities. But although he was prepared to teach, the people just clamored for bodily healing. Large, desperate multitudes came rushing to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, it says the mute, the maimed, and many others, and laid them at his feet. But that language is much more graphic in the original. Literally, it says the people cast down the sick at his feet. They flung down the sick, not carelessly, but hastily, because they were all clamoring to get to him first, to appeal to his mercy. And the record says he healed them all. No one was turned away, and the crowd was amazed. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled and the maimed restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now think of the enormity and variety of the healings that I just mentioned and the miracles described. That's Matthew 15, 30. The blind could have been blind in one eye. It could have been congenital blindness, blindness in both eyes, either from birth, as I said, or blindness due uh, to leprosy or a stroke or an accident. And then there were the lame. Lameness here implies limitation in the legs and it's thus distinguished from the maim, because this word maimed implied having lost a limb, an arm or a leg, or being enfeebled with palsy or having useless withered limbs. And so this is restorative, creative healing. And he healed them all. How did he do it? Well, it doesn't say except to say that they were immediately healed. So it's either by a word that Jesus spoke or by a touch or by putting his hands on them. But all of their disorders and complaints vanished and vaporized, ending with a beautiful doxology that they glorified the God of Israel. The catalog of diseases and injuries is the kind of sight that we see when we minister many times in third world countries where there's no medical appliances and no surgical treatments and so on and so forth. So Jesus encountered people in all stages of terrible disease and degeneration, including even the maimed. Now that word uh, used for maimed in, in both Matthew 15.31 and in Matthew 18.8 definitely means to be deprived of a limb. So Jesus actually healed those who were missing a foot, missing a hand or a leg or some body part as a result from leprosy or an accident. These were tremendous miracles, direct acts of God's creative power. It's no wonder that the people wondered and they glorified the God of Israel. They praised and acknowledged God's power and goodness. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
the night before he was crucified and died. He was still willing to do acts of kindness and creative miracles. Because don't forget the miraculous healing with the servant of the high priest. That servant's name was Malchus. And his right ear was cut off by the impetuous apostle Peter. But the Lord told Peter to put his sword away. And then Jesus touched the ear and instantly healed it right on the spot. So let's be willing to expand our ability to believe the Lord for great healings. Although we know that he can heal headaches and fevers, as in the case of Peter's mother-in-law, the cases recorded elsewhere were much more dire and they concerned very great bodily distress. The deaf, the mute, the blind, the lame, the maimed, and so forth. These represented diseases or defects in major body organs or limbs. So we're not just talking about believing for fevers and also we're believing for major miracles. There was such a full spectrum of medical problems healed under the ministry of Jesus. And so we want to declare that our great physician Jesus wasn't just a specialist, only competent to treat certain organs or complaints. He's a physician who can cure anything and everything. He's a cardiologist. He's a gynecologist. He's a pediatrician, an optician, an ophthalmologist, a podiatrist, an oncologist, a urologist. He's a neurosurgeon. He's a dentist. He's a dermatologist as well as a doctor of internal medicine. In short, he's whatever you need him to be. No limitations and no exceptions. Every kind of problem was laid at the feet of Jesus, as the scriptures say. And what a spectacle that was. And he wasn't stumped by anything. In fact, he welcomed and healed them all. Isn't that wonderful? So it's no wonder that one of his prophetic names, according to Isaiah 9-6, is wonderful. Let's be like the Bible people of faith. They brought the troubled and the sick to Jesus, and let's do the same. Let's bring not only ourselves, but all sorts of people to the living Savior and ask for healing. Great multitudes came to him because they were attracted to his power and his mercy. And that was surely prophetic of the great multitude of souls throughout the centuries from all nations who have sought the Lord's touch. I want to say today that surely Jesus is that Shiloh, a messianic title, meaning God's sent one prophesied in Genesis 49.10, to whom will belong the allegiance of all the nations. Hallelujah. Both the healthy came to him and also the sick. I want to conclude by saying it's the greatest mitzvah, the greatest good deed to bring people to the Lord, our healer. Yes, let's bring him people who are both physically and morally sick. And in the meantime, I appreciate your healing testimonies whenever you send them to me because the healing work of the Lord glorifies God. Well, I hope your faith has been strengthened by this broadcast today. I speak healing to every cell and fiber of your being in the name of Jesus. He calls us to wholeness, to shalom, peace. God's word says there'll be a remnant in the last days who will be strong, not weak, and we'll do exploits. Let that be me 
and let it be you by the grace of God. And in the meantime, I'd like to stay in contact on the social media or at our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine exploits. A reminder also that our Jerusalem Channel app is available free to download from your app store. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Daring, Maranatha, and Shalom. <laughs>